You're tuned in to the Bruz Bookshelf Podcast, where we read the books and let the content drive the discussion. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to another podcast episode of the Bros Bookshelf with your host, Lennon Givens. I'm here with the smooth, silky, baritone voice of Dr. Harvey Hinton III. <laughs> and Helen from South Carolina, my line brother, the deuce dog, Mr. Donovan Snipe. What's up to the Geechee Gullah Nation? Hey, y'all, we have a special guest, a very, very special guest today. Is the author of this thought-provoking book, America Made Me a Black Man. Mm. What does that mean? Well, you about to find out. Mm. Way from Somalia, Africa, Mr. Boya J. Farah. <laughs> What's up, brother? How you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I love the introduction. I almost feel like... I- I already feel like I belong, man. I appreciate the love. You do belong. Of course you I do belong. <laughs> of course you do. Thank you for the love. The, I am black, as you can see. I'm African. And yeah, I'm born black. There's nothing mm-hmm. true about that. The book is about mm-hmm. the um, the emphasis, how white people label us and they hurt us and they persecute us. And the pain that comes with being black is what the book is about. Exactly. You know, as black Americans, I don't really call myself an African-American because I never touched African-Americans, the African soul. But when we see Africans come over, black Africans come over and they try to separate themselves from us, it's almost like they treat us like us versus them. And we look at them and be like, man, you lost, bro. You black. And they be like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And we like, hey, we're not giving you that title. America has already given you that title once you stepped off the boat and you just haven't figured it out yet. And it kind of seems like that's that conversation that you was having with Derek in the office at the workspace when he was saying, brother, no, nah, you black. And, and you had to figure it out on your own. You was in the process of figuring it out on your own. That is so, that is so true. That is indeed so true. Because what happened is when you're, when you're, when you're here in, in Africa, you know, the, the media we really, really don't control so what they put you in, in, in you know, they, as you grow up in Africa, they tell you to be afraid of your own kind. You know, you're not black, you're this, you're, you're that. You know, all these things, you come to America with it. But you realize that once America introduces herself to you, it also shows her belly to you. That's when you realize that, oh, you get educated, you get to read a couple books. That's when you get to know that Malcolm is you, Mon is you. Derek is you. You know what I mean? We all belong. Uh, the pain is democratic. You know, so it, it's, it's basically, that's, Derek has been a brother to me. You know, I love him. I, you know, I would fight for him. You know, and his pain was mine. But at the time, I was like, you know what? Also, I'm, I'm from Africa. I was like from a war zone. So I was running away from the war. I couldn't believe my adopted country would treat me like that, you know? So I had to like find out, go through some pain. Peace, brother boy. Um, when I was in grad school, man, one of my homies, uh, Amari Dyson, he talked about that pain. He would call it 
the niggerization moment. Like, and it would be like this moment when a black person would would be doing their best, doing their all, and giving it their all, only to be disappointed. And, you know, you described this pain, this hurt so well in this book. And I think, I mean, hats off to you, brother, because, Appreciate I mean, I, I love the way you connect to your culture uh, around the poets of your of your culture. So I'm curious, what do you think about words like nigger and, and, and the dark side of profanity that we talk about in the United States? Because in your in your description and, and, and of, of the pain experience, I think you 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 did it in such a way that just it was healing, you know. So I'm just curious how you feel about words like nigger and the niggerization concept. Well, basically, you know, when you have so much pain and the word is attached to so much pain, there's that you got to neutralize that. And for us to call each other niggers is as a way to neutralize that pain because there's so much pain that's associated with the word, <laughs> and there's nothing you and I can do to fix it because the white man's machine is too big for us. So what do we have to do? Neutralize the word, call each other niggers. That's a way to disable the pain that associated with, with the word from white people. But That's I, deep, brother. That's deep. Yeah. That was interesting because um, like I hear that argument, but I, also, I always look at the word nigga as a white people word. Like that's theirs that we kind of just took from them. But I don't know. It's theirs. I, I, I get the sentiment. Like, yeah, you do defuse it, but um, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't, I don't know of like another parallel. Like the, the Jews don't call each other that K word. The Asians don't take their slur. So like, I, I get it, but like, I'm also kind of um, apprehensive about it sometime because it's like, well, why are we the only people that do this? And then what does that do to the, our psyche as well? I think we took it like we take everything else. Anything that hurts us, we take it and we make it palatable to us. With our food, they gave us the bad food. We took it and we made food that tastes good to us. Uh, music, um, they stole our music. We took our music back. We stole it back and created hip hop. We created break dancing. That's what black people in America do. We are constantly giving scraps and things to hurt us. And we take those things that hurts us and then we make it cool. And then they take it again from us. So that's what it is. We're the only people that do that. And take that. And take that. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, there's, there's power to that. There's a uh, resilience to that. You know, I, I'm writing about 30 years. Can you imagine a brother whose father and father and father and father were all born in America, all that pain? You know what I mean? I wrote this book of 30, just 30 years. And I'm like, you know what? This is too much. You I'm know? glad you said that. So it, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, I mean, I really, you know, uh, I'm, I'm always thinking about that. How does it feel to have actually inherit that much pain? I mean, it, it's, it's enormous. But if you look at the words and what you just said is so true, America, there's something called soft power and there's something called hard power. You know, the soft power is basically music, culture, you know, all these things. You got to understand America is superpower because of African-Americans, because of black people. You know what I mean? Like that is actually, you know, that is true because think about it. Anywhere in the world, America is known because of the black culture. That's why America is known. It's not the hard power. The hard power is the weapons. Weapons don't reach everywhere. 
music does. When I was a little boy, I thought Marco <laughs> was Somali. I thought Michael Jackson was Somali. I thought Steve Wonder was Somali. I mean, think about these things. But the I thought that they were not Somali when I get to America. The you lyrics, know what I mean? The, and then the I get impact. to eat, But they weren't uh, even speaking English. Wow. Biggie. I absolutely adore Tupac because he had the spirit of a warrior. I absolutely warrior. I go, I go war with him. No doubt about it. Rest in peace, brother. You are my brother. Listen, listen. I tell, I tell, I tell these young people. Well, hold on. What year were you born? In 1977. My year. That explains it. Yeah, my year. I knew, I knew you was the year of the super sperm. I knew we had a connection. It's that 77, baby. Yeah, I knew it. Reading the book, I said, this bro, he had to be born like in 77. In 78, 77, 79. He, because I could feel the connection when I was reading it his book. It ain't the 80s. Yeah, he was, we, we were speaking the different. same language. When you said only God can judge me, yeah. man, I was like, what? That used to be my soul. Perhaps I was stabbed in the back. But anyway, I used to tell people, I said Tupac was more than a rapper at that time. Every every generation had like their leader. They killed Malcolm, they killed Martin. Although he was a young leader and he still had some growing to do, but he touched us. Like his music really, really touched us. So when you when you was giving Tupac them ups and you was like you just feel Tupac, I was like, yeah, he's my kind of dude yeah, from man. Boston. Thank yeah. you, I appreciate it, man. You gotta understand, I. There's, there's, in this land where I'm at now, there's a whole poetry of war. There's poetry of love. You know, uh, it, I mean, there's like Tupac and almost everywhere here where if Tupac, you know, stand up and want to go to war, you know, you have to. You have no choice but to go follow him. And he had that kind of spirit. He had that kind of like soul. He's an incredibly brave human being. The only thing is, you know, he was born in America, you know, a lot of times we're all broken and, uh, you know, it, it takes us time for us to understand the brother's message to embrace him, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I feel, I, I wanted to honor Tupac in the book. I really did. And I also wanted to honor Malcolm. And I did. Malcolm reminded me of my dad, you know, and I wanted to make sure young black man, you know, is connected to our ancestral link. We our history is deeper than white people. And that's the truth. You know, so Bro, I, I, I felt that in your writing, yeah. and I and I felt like you know, as as a person who identifies with hip hop as a culture, you know, I felt like everything that you were experiencing and was discussing was was right there aligned with the experience of hip hop, and that you you saw it. But I'm curious, you know, being in Somalia with the history of the poets. And you talked about keeping your musical, you know, interest to yourself. Like, how how have you been with merging those in the two now? Uh, say that again one more time. I'm sorry, brother. You talked about, in the book, you talked about keeping your, your American musical interest to yourself. You didn't share that with your mother. And so now I'm wondering, at, at this point, you know, how how have you reconciled that, knowing the, the, the impact of hip-hop and, and that connection with the, uh, the great poets of, you know, the uh, past of Africa? I mean, it has been a struggle for me because, well, one, I belong to my mother. I, I, you know, I have to honor her culture. And her culture was, you know, she understood 
what is what is popular is you know as the culture of gangster rap you know she didn't want to identify that she wanted to, us to be careful because remember a lot of times we don't really own the record companies so they put out things that are destructive not not things that are holistic that when you listen to it you you feel you know you not just do you feel good about it it actually directs your your action because if you don't take ownership of the words then you have nothing you know so i i understand my mother's concern but i i'm old enough now to choose who i'm going to listen to versus who i'm not going to listen to you know uh, hip hop has been dumped down lately you know and and they put out a lot of things that are not from the culture really the culture is is a history a culture that endures over 400 years of pain is resilient and the music should actually be also a music of resilience a music of tupac you know right now it is i listen to uh, Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar we don't have a lot of options to listen to to give us that <laughs> that feel that's a slippery slope dog that so <laughs> searching and touching slope. feel and that's also deliberate um because we used to, like, we used to have that revolutionary music up until, like, a certain point. I'd say, like, the late, mid to late 90s, and then somebody was like, wait a minute. Y'all are getting a little bit too free. Let's go ahead and pull mm. on the gangster rap. And then we just kind of went downhill from there. So, well, I shouldn't say downhill, because that's just another just another form of expression. But to your point, Lenny, yeah, we, we, we have run out of, like, choices. Mm-hmm. Real quick, how old were you when you came when you came to the United States? I was 15 years old. Ready, you know, ready. I wanted to be a doctor. So you was like in 1992? 1993. Three. Okay, 1993. But having seen the worst, you know. So you uh, you came like your freshman year in high school. Freshman year in high school, yeah. I was the only the only black kid from Africa in Bedford High School or white. Bedford where? Well, you were- Bedford High School outside of Boston. Okay, in Bedford. Okay. You came right just cool, enough time cool. for uh, America to, what'd you say, Harvey niggerize you? Like, you came right on schedule for that because during the teenage years is when they were really looking <laughs> at right you again. like. Yeah, that's the coming of age years. Yeah. That is, that is true. I, you know, 90s were pretty, pretty interesting year, man. You know, that that's the time. A lot of things were happening. Like, hip hop was on the rise. Bad Boys. Mm-hmm. You know, 112. I mean, a lot of Greg Mack. There was a lot of exciting time for music. <laughs> Facts. And I came in right, right in time. That's so dope, bro. Like, hip-hop is shit, man. Yeah. I don't care what nobody say. <laughs> you came right at the end of the New York East Coast reign, right when yes. Southern rap was just about to blow. Because in 1994, that's when Outkast dropped, Goody Mob dropped, and things started changing. And but everybody was loving Tupac in, Pac in went 1993. West Coast. Pac yeah, but, moving West Coast. I had the signs off. Man, let me tell you something. Tupac. Pac was the West Coast, but he felt like he was omnipresent. He started he was, on the East. He was West Coast. He was South. He was everywhere. He was the only one that was like omnipresent. Did, did you gravitate yeah. towards more Southern rap, East Coast rap, or West Coast rap music? I mean, I had I I had a mix you know mixture. Of, I, mean, I had a variety of taste. Uh, but Tupac was more like, you know, you know, when I get to know Malcolm and I read his book and I get to know that America, what, what I was told as a child in Africa is different 
that I'm gonna be a nigger in America. You know, the way they're gonna treat me is different. You know what I mean? Like this, this is, I'm discovering new, mm-hmm. new reality. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta side, take sides, right? I mean, so whenever I wanna, you know, rebel against the system, I listen to Tupac. Cause that, it gives me what I want. You know, cause I want, I wanna go to war if I can. Put this tape in your box you know, and you running from the cops and never look back cause they could be black and they'll switch over fire. I know what you mean. You have these emotions and you just trying to find a place for them to land. That's yep. it. That's exactly it. You put that music yeah. on, you they they have a nice, comfortable landing. You like, you know. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, he actually made you feel like, you know, like you're you belong. You're 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 you got your own space mm-hmm. and you can defend your own space, even though you, you really don't have much to to challenge white people because everything belongs to them, at least spiritually, yeah. you know, psychologically. You listen to those words and you're like, you know what? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can, you know what I mean? And that, that's what I like about Tupac. I really did. But most of it, I used to listen to a different variety of music. Okay, a variety of music. Yeah, that's right. You, you spoke about, um, what's that song? November? November Rain. November Rain, Rain. yeah. Um, you know, Bob Dylan. Um, you know, like things that are, you know, as I, as I begin to read books, I get exposed to like you know different music. Uh, Sam Cooke, you know um, uh, Nina Simone, um, you know Cat Stevens. Um, but you know, so I I I it was a listener of music and also a reader. It all comes together and it all has one common thing, and it's all lyrical. Bob Dylan very yes. lyrical. Nina Nina yes. Simone very lyrical. So you used to listen to the message with the music did you ever find yourself just going away and just listening to some old florida style bass booty shake music did you ever get into that oh yeah you know sometimes you know what i mean you know, you know of course <laughs> of course <laughs> right you know right, the right, father right, now right. hey speaking okay. but speaking you know, of which though Yes. I'm trying to clean that. I'm trying to clean that. But boy, to that to that point of being a father and trying to clean that up, I've heard Snoop talk about that a lot, right? <laughs> he talks about, you know, having good, not, having better music. So anyway, to that point, I'm just curious. Um, I think a lot of times in, uh, Blacks in the United States, we, we can get caught up in creation stories and, you know, trying to find our existence, trying to find our home. Um, I'm just curious. Could you share with us a creation story from from your upbringing? Like before you before you came to the United States, like what did you think about the formation of the world? Like what did your would your family tell you about how you arrived to your homeland? Just any stories like that that you can remember? Uh, coming here, coming back here, or before or you came, before to, the came to the U.S. Well, before you, I came to the U.S. Um, you know, the world really, the world outside of Somalia didn't really exist. Uh, but my father was a revolutionary, so he used to tell me a lot about, you know, the coming war, man up. You know, like, um, Somalis are very, uh, they are, Somalis are anti-colonial by nature. You know, like, they, 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 they are people, poets, they are people of poetry, they're very, very brave people. The territory, you come to the territory, you have to come with respect. If you don't, the whole entire family will fight you. You know, like, 
truly independent people. That's why it has been a war for 40 years. My father's on war, his father's on war, his father's on war. I'm the only one who's not carrying the AK-47, but I'm carrying the pen and I'm a writer. I'm using my voice to, to defend the weak. So b before I came to the US, I, we had that culture of resistance of, of you know, listening to those who are resisting the system. But were I, there I, any I, I stories or ideas that existed outside of colonialism or outside of battling white folks? Like what was like the origin stories, like old stories? Of no, white, of, 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 of your homeland. Before white people. Uh, where, you, where did they come from, you mean? Help me out, Lenny. Help me out, Don. No, he was talking about like where, where you guys come from. Like, you know, like God. Origin tell us about God. Like, what, yeah, yeah. Like how yeah, we had, tell us about we had God. Adam and Eve. You know? Yeah. Well, I, you know, well, Somalis are 99.99 Muslims. Yeah. And before we were Muslims, uh, we were just, uh, we, we had the African, African religions. Uh, but Somalis ancestral is that we are connected to uh, the pharaohs, the black pharaohs no, before really. Egypt were, were, were white people. Egypt, Egyptians are not white. That's what we talk about. They're black. I want to hear that part. <laughs> you know, they're not, they are not. Harvey, you want, you want him to hear? You want him to hear him say, "Say that again, Donovan." So you want him to say that the Africans are actually black. You want him to, to, to reconfirm that the Africans in Africa are actually black and got their own thing, independent of white folks. Is that what you're trying to yeah, get him to say? Yeah, Harvey? because what happened is, think about it. You know, they incentivize if you claim yourself white, you get some, you know, some money, some connection. So, and then you make. You know, the more lighter you are, they incentivize that. And all of a sudden, you psychologically, you're messed up. You think you're white. You're not really white. Egyptians are not white. Egyptians, the pharaohs, if you look at the pharaohs, and you look at Puntiland, where I live at right now, if you look at the, uh, the name, Puntiland means the land of gods, which means, right. I actually write that in the book, which means the land of gods, some of the pharaohs were buried in this land where I'm at now. Right. They were black people. You know, when did they become whites? They incentivized that if you claim yourself white, you're going to get some money. And therefore, you know, even if you, you, know, you see a Somali, a little bit of a light skin, like, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not African. Why are you not African? We understand historically why you're not African, because you got some money and you want to be close to white people so you can get some incentives. There's nothing more than that. But historically, you know, Egyptians are Africans, original Africans. You know, Somalis are original Africans. Um, that's who we are, Africans. You know, it's ironic that you say people are incentivized through monetary gain to identify as white. Here in America, it was some controversy that I think that they was alluding to. Uh, Kevin Hart did a show in Africa, and then he said, hey, uh, the the kings and queens of Egypt were black people. And they was like, no. Nah. And even the Egyptians was like, no, they weren't black. You know, so what you're saying, it, it was uh, brainwashing. And their brainwashing is so deep and so well thought out. It, it's a system that we can't go against. Harvey, if you notice, I called him Dr. Harvey Hinton III because he's a, a doctor and he does, he writes as well. And uh, he has uh, some blogs that are published. And he had this one blog that recently got published in the Medium. So you can look that up on medium.com, uh, Harvey Hinton III. And he has this article called How to Survive microaggressions, buck breaking, and falsehood of respectability politics. So deep down in the article, it's a long article, really great read, but he has these uh, 
these commandments, right? These black command, these 10 black commandments like Biggie. And the first one, the fastest way for a black person to get on top is to diss other black people. That was something that we were talking, that you were discussing in your book. Number two, to be in the C-suite, you must have no known black associates. When they told you to get rid of Derek, hey man, you got to stop talking to Derek. Number three, <laughs> never rep a HBCU as an educational institution, like what I'm doing right now, fam you. Do not have any social media supporting anything positive that black people do. Number five, if there's a black person in power, just cheer for them and don't expect shit to change for you. You remember you went to the uh to the black attorney and you was like, yes, she's black and she's even darker than me. And you were shocked. Yeah. Like, oh my God, she's <laughs> shit, not me man. at all. <laughs> Number six, never talk about racism on any social issues as systematic or in public. Number seven, tell young black boys to pull their pants up and cut their hair. Number eight, tell black men to stop making babies and leaving. Number nine, tell black women to raise their children and stay out of clubs. And number 10, praise white Jesus. I say I like to say those last couple of ones, the respectability politics. When I was listening to your book and I hear you now and I hear your experience, it's safe to say, because I have this thing that I tell people, the black man in America is the only person that is socially and genetically engineered to be what you see right now. Somebody no morals, no, no, uh, nothing to really stand for. That's why our pants sag now. And we don't see that as a problem. We don't see living off women and fighting and harming one another as a problem. We have been genetically engineered to be that way. And once we become that way, they, they, they capture all of us and they put us out and they project us out to the world to our detriment. That's why they put our bad music out to the world. Just like when you were saying you were in Africa and that's the only images that you saw of us. You, you didn't see any positive black images like us. So speak on that. Did you notice that when you came over here that you were, yeah, they were made yeah, that way? Uh, I, 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 I write about that. When I, when we arrived in the U S we went to all white town and because, you know, the mind is incredibly powerful. Whatever you allow to enter the mind, that's what you become. So as we come to the U.S., we, what we carry is America avoid black people because they're thugs, they're lazy people, they are horrible, and they're going to rob you. And so that is the, that's what you carry. So as soon as they came in to America, my mom sent me to be on a bus, uh, you know, first time I've been on an American bus, first time I've been on a train. Um, and then there's two African-American boys came in and I swear to God, I was thinking about safety. I mean, think about this. I'm this skinny boy, incredibly skinny. I don't got the style. I don't got the right, you know, you know, you know when you're yeah, a teenager, man. you gotta wear the things. You know, I'm, I look horrible. I'm as skinny as hell because I have malaria. But at the same time, I'm afraid of these two healthy, handsome-looking African-American teenagers with the right gear. You know what I mean? So that particular uh, set of information didn't belong to me. The same thing here. When I'm living in, in America and looking, at, I'm looking at Africa, what am I thinking about African, uh, African people? 
starving, war. Uh, you can go, you can go. I mean, when I was trying to decide to come here, my African-Americans, my African-Americans told me, you you know, you get me some, you know, what you going to be a hyena? Are you going to get a hyena? You're going to see a lion? You're going to see a giraffe? Even Somali boys was telling me that. Because that is the only information right. they get from Africa. And everything, like you said, is engineered. This is strategically put that information in our on our head. But the good news is this. Information has been democratized. You and I can now speak. You can see I'm in Africa now, and you're in America. And there's no bullets, and there's no hyena behind me. Look the same. There's no starving child. You know what I mean? That, that is bullshit. And then to go back also to when I, when I worked, what I really saw is this. Yes, I'm African. I'm proud to be African. I'm proud to be Somali. But when white people talk to me out of work, they would talk to me differently. And they would try to incentivize me to go against right. my brother Derek. If I'm a softy and I am a weak, I have a weak gene, if, let's say I have a weak gene, I can easily go and destroy Derek and get some job, uh, get some jobs promotion. But I'm not about job promotion. That's not going to happen. It's like spinning my father's grave to betray my soul. Because it's very clear that if I gave up piece of me, I'm going to get the promotion. And so not all black people are strong. I, I get it. Some black people will get used against their own kind. But I, I, was just, I was just not willing to do something like that over my grave. That never happened. And that's what I write about. And that actually... That actually exists in the workplace, and I saw it that so we, many we times. It. I mean, this, the story you tell about losing your job, losing employment, and what that does to your psyche, I mean, that definitely resonated with me and, and, and numerous stories that I've heard from other brothers. That irritable bowel all, syndrome. All of that irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, that's, it's, that's yeah. And you didn't know where it was coming yeah. from. You was like... This shit, this shit is, is killing, killing me. And I don't even, you know, yeah. Yeah, you didn't yeah. even know it. Like Harvey speaks about that in his article. That stress mm -hmm. from that that micro that shit is killing you, man. Yeah, they all add up. I mean, because um, I mean, I thought I'm a, I'm mm. a survivor of war. Yeah. I carry a dead people. Yeah, I have seen people get shot in front of me. I've seen a man who got stoned in front of me by his own dad. You know, and he was participating in the, mm. in, in, in his in killing me. Um. You know, so I've seen a horrific stuff, and I never thought black, I mean, a white racism will break me down. I never thought that. I thought I was a lion's lion. But racism is different than actual war. Actual war, you go pick up a gun and participate, it, your kids don't inherit. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you don't go to sleep, you don't go to, you go to sleep, okay. It's one time or twice or whatever it is. But racism is generational. Yeah. Every single night it visits you. Every single eight hours a day, you're gonna think about that. It kills you. Mm -hmm. It kills your spirit. It kills your manhood. You become a dead man walking, and that's what I was becoming. I was becoming someone else's mm. uh, cat. You know, I was becoming. I was losing it, man. I really was losing it. Mm. And I know a lot of my friends. You know, a lot of my African American friends, a lot of my Somali friends, a lot of black people, because demo racism is democratic in America. You know, we cannot separate each other and say, this this one is Jamaican, this one is Somali. No, racism is democratic. If you're weak, you're going to get used. If you're strong, mm. you're going to go through pain. And and that's what I that, that's what I discovered. You know, a lot of those who are strong men, pain, 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 pain. is what's lay ahead.
Boy, I want to ask you something else um, that you wrote about in the book. Um, and this was an ode to hip hop, I thought as well. Tell me about um, about your name and how you how you how you changed your name because that's what hip hop artists do; they change their name. So, oh yeah, yeah, man. You know, you know, I had so much, I was so much hurt in me that I was, you know, talking to myself, you know, asking. Sometimes I would just drive on the highway. Or I would sit alone and 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 talk to God. Why did I survive the war? To be in this pain, to become somebody's toy. You know, I was I was losing it. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't. I was losing my job. Derek died. It's just it's just a horrible way to to look at life. And so I was like, I was given five names. None of them belonged to me. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to accomplish something greater than me, greater than my father. My father. And Boy, I was my chosen name, just like Malcolm was his chosen chosen name, you know, just like Muhammad was his, you know, Muhammad Ali's changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad. So I wanted to be that. I wanted to follow Muhammad Ali's footstep, Malcolm X's footstep, and rise. How old were you when and you did this? Good. Uh, I don't know. It was recent. It was when I was battling my job. Okay. Okay. Now, you know, I was trying to figure out, were you in tech? Were you in IT? No, 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 no. Yeah, so I was trying I was to figure way, out way, what kind way. of job it was. Uh, no, this job, I've had almost every job was, the pain was democratic. So it's multiple, uh, it's composite, composite character. Multiple jobs oh, treat me exactly the same way. The, 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 the way they treat you is democratic. There's no... There's no, there's no one, one job that treats you better. So in the None. book, you said you was on this job for 10 years. That was like, so I was thinking that yeah. that was the job that you got immediately after college when you was like, yes, I, I accept the job. And so you had a cubicle. And so how it was worded, you, you had a higher position than your boy, Derek. Right. Yes. And so, and I was trying to figure out what, yeah, what kind of, of work, what kind of work was, was, what type of work were you, were you guys like doing like PR work? Uh, HR work? No, we were basically doing, uh, uh, you know, like office work. We had an office, I had an office. We are doing like, you know, financial data. Oh, okay, okay. Know, helping people, you know, helping customers. What helping kind of stuff client, was you getting written up for? Uh, <laughs> they said you got wrote no? up a whole lot. That, that lawyer told you they certified you a long time ago. Yeah, let, because what you was had that written about? up so that... many times. What kind of stuff were you getting written up for? I, I thought he didn't know he was written up. I thought they, they was writing them up and nah, putting them like in his me, file he would know, I would them. know I was, stuff would happen. It would, would be like, whatever. They were. They were. They were. Yeah, they were what happened is first, they, first they try to indoctrinate you. You're not black. You're African. You're Somali. You look different. Look at you, man. You're not African-American. You know what I mean? Like, like you're different and special. You're African. Let me use, basically what they're saying is let me use you against your brother. And once you... Once you you say no, yeah, you're done. They're gonna use their uh, 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 a breakfast, a break for coffee. You're gonna get ran up. You go to the bathroom. You're gonna get ran up. You call your boy up or you call a client, and you're gonna get ran up. Your office is messed up. Like there's a couple of papers. You're gonna get ran up. Every single aspect of your life is turned apart. And this is institution. You know, it's not individual. The individual who's doing this is not one person. It's the whole goddamn system that's against you. Even the ones that smile for you are against you. You know what I mean? And you don't even know. 
by the time you get to see your folder, it's like it's a you could write a book about it. Yeah, you're and sometimes they don't even tell you they wrote up, they wrote you up. You know, so by the time you accumulate all of that, uh, you got you got hundred twenty complaints. Mm. It's a system. I mean, Derek told me this. Derek told me that I talk about destiny all the time. I believe in destiny. You know, my father told me only fear destiny. You know, whatever is destined for you shall be. Shall be. If you're gonna get rich, shall, shall be. If you're gonna die, shall be. There's no. You can't change that. So I always talk to Derek about destiny. You know, don't be afraid of these white people, man. Look at them in the eyes. Destiny is real. That's what I tell them, right? And he used to tell me, hey, this is America. You're not in Africa. The destiny of the black man is in the hands of white people. That's something that I couldn't, I just couldn't accept it. But the longer you stay and they see, you see the way they destroy mm -hmm. you, the longer you die, you, I doubted my father's words. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, what he said is real. Yeah. You know, Derek is yeah. because when you are auspicious, you thinking yeah. that you thinking that you got the answer and you're gonna do it different from people who's been trying it hundreds of years before you, and then you finally get beat down into submission, and then you just walk away yes. with your head down, just like you know what? Yeah, they humble you, but they humble you in the same way they humble. That's I think Tupac talks about that. Tupac said. What do you say? Um, the only the only fighting spirit you have until you're 24 or something. After that, uh, you they take this they take the fire out of you, and you're just gonna like capitulate because he's a truth teller. It's true. By the time you get to my age, you're like you just don't want to do anything. You just want to live because you know right. you don't have you know. And that's the dichotomy anger. between the parents and the young revolutionary. Yeah, we talk about this on uh, on our podcast a lot. When when yeah. when you young, you got a lot of energy. You want to go out there and fight in the streets. Black Lives Matter and all this. You protesting yeah. and then, but your parents like, son, don't go out there. And you looking at your 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 parents like they not woke <laughs> or they're not they're yeah. not for the cause. But they just looking at you yeah, like I worried. did that too. And then my yeah. my grandparents right. did that too. And look where Yo, we at the same place talking oh, yeah. about the same issue. The only thing that's gonna happen is you're gonna get bludgeoned. They're gonna put it on TV and they're gonna they might make a, a memorial out of you if they remember you. But fighting that's is it. necessary though. I mean, it's like it's like a fight that you have to fight, but I it's mean, like how do you learn to do it? Because it's 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 in us to fight. It's it's no other way around it. It's so it's like it's great that we we can find the words to express the experience. And I think that's what Boyer really did. I mean, you you capture our experience in ways that a lot of brothers, they internalize that pain and they think it's them. Uh, they, they don't believe that other people are experiencing it. And um, and the way you was able to capture it, saying, hey, I showed up here and this is what I experienced for 30 years and I got the hell out of here and I took a bag with me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And there's a culturation process just to his point of it being institutional, like an institution. I, I read like a lot of the things that you were going through in the book, like. I found like parallels in my life, like when you had the um, I guess the counselor at your school who was like, you should keep working at the gas station. I, well, I had a counselor who was like, well, maybe college ain't for you. Like, I'm like, well, I'm trying to go to college. Do you want to help me out? Like at every at every point in your life, you had like that person is like, mm, you're not quite good enough for this. Um, and I thought that was really telling because like we all go through that as like natural born American, like natural born black Americans, we experience like the same thing. So 
um, I thought it was very telling. Um, even your whole encounter with like that attorney, like I know a black attorney, a, a female black attorney who also was like, you know, maybe Breonna Taylor was supposed to get shot. And it's like, well, having all these parallels can't just be coincidental. Like these right. things are in place. And like, to your point, it is an institution and it's, there is a, um, there is like a, a, a negative characterization of black people in America, as you found, because black people see Africans as people living in poverty and, you know, dirty all the time. And on the flip side, you saw Americans as all these gangsters, drug dealers. So it's like all of those things aren't there by accident. And, um, I just thought it was really interesting that you were able to pick up on that and survived it. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful said. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And, and the good thing is I am so happy about the, the democratization of media communication. You know what I mean? I mean, before it was like BBC, CNN, this and that, you know, just, mm -hmm. you know, few massive white owned institutions. Now, everybody can pick up the phone and actually become a reporter. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, nobody can lie. And the, the good thing about it is that that is not going to be history is not written by the powerful or the conqueror, the, the, the victory. Those who are victorious said they write history. That is not true. History is written by the passage of time. It is time. Time has arrived for black people to rise. There is no doubt about that. History says it. I didn't say it. I mean, as long as people like us can tell their own stories. Mm -hmm. Storytelling. That, story that's telling. it. Done. Mm -hmm. It's done. Because uh, mm -hmm. I'm, 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 be, I'm being honest over here. Because think about this. When I say the real power of America is actually black people, it is true. Fashion, music, sports, those are called soft power. So everything that happened before, you know, it happened for a reason. It's called divide and, con divide and conquer, divide and control, divide and uh, uh, what is it? Divide and conquer. Yeah, or something? Divide and conquer. Like you, you can actually, uh, you know, control them. That's not gonna. That's not. That cannot happen anymore. Time is up, and and it's time for us to to um, tell the truth about what's happening in the between the two communities. And I'm absolutely, I appreciate the love that the book is receiving. I really do because I I wrote that from the reservoir of my. The honest reservoir inside of me. I wrote this book in 2018 days. Really? Wow. 18 so days. So you had a lot to get off your mind. You was you were pretty much purging. Man, Man it was therapeutic. It, I mean, it was like uh, if I didn't write this book, I think I would have I would have done harm to the living. Wow. I would have done I would have done harm to, harm to the living, man. So this was you something that I am I am somebody. grateful that. I am grateful that, you know, I wrote instead of, you know, uh, going back to that warrior spirit inside of me. Well, you were, uh, well, you really couldn't go to a warrior spirit because you had the limp and the polio. So you physically couldn't do it. Shit, so, what do you mean? We got AK-47. Well. He know, he talked, man, that man said he was shot by AK-47. He know how to find one. He well, no, he was clever. He was he clever. Him, he told a story. I mean, he know. <laughs> I know, but it was it was he was clever. He was clever. So he was forced to fight the war in a different kind of way. So he's he's contributing in his way, which I thought was pretty damn was cool. Good. I also was pocket watching. So 
when when they said when they offered you the settlement of two years pay and then 30 percent goes to the attorney and that was enough money to say hey we mom don't worry about we working no more let's get on this plane let's go to somalia i was like damn how much did they give him you you left with a golden parachute did it feel like that well well i i had options you know think about this I was at the verge where, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was dead, man. I was dead. Spirit was dying. You know, the, my spirit, my my soul was hurting. I couldn't sleep. You know what I mean? A lot of my brothers that I that we worked together were all in pain. I couldn't go. The attorney that I thought was my tribe, because I think about tribes, right? Like I cannot betray you. You're my brother. You know what I mean? You're all three of my brothers. There's no way I could betray you. And then when when I see, you know my own kind of betraying me. And I see how big the, 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 the you know, the people that are destroying are, well, what options can I have? I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go back to, 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 to where it began. I'm gonna go back to my my father's grave. You know what I mean? So what I'm was that like? Tell basics. us about that. Tell us what it was like coming home. It was. It was liberating, completely liberating. You know, I wanted to like, I wanted to like shed you know, you know, when you live in America, you like, like, I mean, you know, you and I understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I'm talking about somebody who doesn't live in America. Basically, you know, your job rejects you, the cops, the whole system rejects you, and you don't even know what to do. You're like, you know what? I don't even know what to do. I don't want to even talk about this no more. Because you're trying to, like, save your soul from everything, all the hurt. As soon as I get back to Africa, that actually disappeared. That shadow that shadow of America, you know, you're a black man, disappear. I feel free. I feel like I can I can run, you know, naked in the rain again. I am that free African soul. You know, it, it, it was liberating. Also, I I wrote the whole story, so that all that was also liberating. So a combination of that became a therapy for me. Explain explain to us, because in America, racism drives capitalism. And capitalism drives racism. We need it. Sometimes you have to go against your brother in order to feed your family. Sometimes you caught in those situations. How is capitalism to, treated? <laughs> well, you get it, Harvey. I mean, you got to have some type of money, insurance, and things like that. I had to fire one of the homies one time, man, and it wasn't cool. So you do have to go against. It. I had to do my job and and walk one of the homies into the yeah. office and 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 run the script. Right, that's well, what yeah, I mean. Happens. Like sometimes you, you, you find yourself that took a huge toll on me. Yeah, you find yourself it in those happens. situations. Just like if you don't have any money, you you have to go get your teeth done at the dentist school, and they can do the wrong tooth and give you a root canal on the whole wrong. Or just tooth, talk about you, know? you like you. <laughs> yeah, like I'm talking about you like you yeah. piece of furniture. Like you can't hear what they're saying. I mean, I guess the question is, what is the balance of capitalism in Somalia? How is it different over there than over here? It's completely different here. Here is a there's a system of insurance here. This is a tribal place. You know, my tribe, the you know, it's like a tree, right? Tree, trees have branches. Each branch is a tribe. You can you know just imagine the mm-hmm. tree and each branch is a tribe. There's a sub-tribe and sub-tribes. The tribe that I belong cannot betray me. If I if I go to war, they have to go to war with me. And if I die, they have to bury me, pay I mean, uh, bury me honorably. And whoever kills me, they have to go kill that person. It's just the way it is. And 
I will do the same for, it's like my, your homies, you know, like, you know, in, even in America, you see some of the similarities there, African, and you find it here. But here, basically, you belong to a set of tribe, and that set of tribe protects you, and, you, you know, they will even collect money from you when, when some one of their member kills somebody and they want blood money. You know, so it's a, it's a completely different system than there. For example, you know, the one that brought the tribe that I belong to, you know, if they, if they hurt somebody and the other tribe says, hey, we want blood money instead of, you know, killing the person who killed our own, then the money is shared. You know, every member of the tribe has to give up some money and then overnight the victim is paid. You know, that, that tribal system maintains mm. a complete peace, you know, here. Because they know that if you kill, you're going to get captured. There's no escaping here. You know, the, the capitalism, exactly the way, you, the way it works is capitalist system doesn't only belong to America. It belongs to everywhere. You know, be, these people, uh, 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 they have a capitalistic system, but it's not destructive. It doesn't kill people, uh, certain group of people. It does not. Everybody's free to work and, you know, earn some money, but there's a greater loyalty. There's a greater bond and if you harm one person then his tribe will come after you and say hey you've done me wrong yeah in america capitalism kind of uh promotes a lot of individualism and and that's where it goes wrong but but racism does a good job of putting us all in the same tribe say it again i say racism does a good job of putting black people all in the same tribe however um we just don't have a code of conduct like how you all have in africa um and I think that's what black people miss. And I was having a discussion with a friend of mine recently who like, you know, we don't have any black leaders, yada, yada, yada. Anytime we get a leader, they're going to get killed. And I was like, well, we don't, we don't need a leader because who's the Asian leader? Who's the Jewish leader? Mm. Who's the white leader? And, you know, we don't have a discernible person we can name because they don't need one. They all have a code. Like, if you do this, this is going to happen. And I think that's like kind of like some of the downfall of, of, of black revolutionary societies that we try to put all of our um, hopes into this charismatic leader, as opposed to just developing like a, a standard code of conduct. So no matter what happens to one of us, the collective can kind of like mm-hmm. take up for it. And it sounds like you all kind of still have that established in the motherland. Um, How are we going to share in, sharing the bounty? We go that kick some right. ass. <laughs> it, it basically says, uh, yeah. if, Visibility without power is deception. There are more black leaders nowadays yeah. than back then, but the pain yeah. continues. Yeah. Yes. So what does that mean? But breaking. You know works. what I mean? We got, we got leaders everywhere. Boston yeah. is a lot of black leaders, <laughs> but the, the, no the, the racism continues. I still get fired from the job. I still get hurt by the police. I still get stopped by the police. You know what I mean? What do these no leaders code. for me do for me? You know what I mean? So those are those leaders are not Tupac. They're not Malcolm. They're in for the work. You know, I'm sorry to say that. Maybe I shouldn't say stuff like that, but you know, that's controversial, but it's real. Yeah. But going going back to returning home, um, and this question actually came from um, the brother Mark Hines that told me about this book. Um, What was it like connecting with your family? How how was your family when you you got back home? How did your mom turn out? Like, how, how, how did all that... Well, my, my father, my, my, my family here, they really don't understand the concept of racism. 
you know, they, they like they laugh at you because they, they, their idea is how do you allow a man to control you? You know, because their mindset is, you know, I'm free. I don't allow myself, anybody to enter my mind or to subjugate me. Why don't you fight them? You know, why don't you hurt them? They, they really think it's individual. Like I can go after Michael. You know what I mean? They don't understand this is a system. Racism in America is not an individual. It's not a tribe. It's a system. And that system was put together by white men. And those white men, they knew that they can destroy black people for another, you know, forever. You know, you the, know they the best thing to describe it to them where they could have gotten it is what happened to your little brother. It was the system that even the black lady had to come over there with her uniform off and say, look, brother, you know, I couldn't talk. It was like you said, a dual conscience. She, I can't talk to you with yeah. the uniform on and be my authentic self because I got to go with the system. So I'm here. Your brother need to go back to Africa because yeah. they about to railroad him. How is your Jewish judicial system in, in Somalia? Here is tribal purity. Like I get, I get arrested, you know, they can't do shit to me. They can't. You know, my people have to come and say, okay, we bail them out. What do you want? You know what I mean? So it's it's more like ancient, 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 like the way pharaohs used to conduct themselves. Okay. You know, that's because Somalia has been at war for 40 years. You know what I mean? And the reason why they're at war, it has nothing to do with us fighting each other. It's like the system. There's a global system also. You know, and that global system wanted to subjugate the Africans. And the Africans, some of the Africans that are free, like the warriors in Somalia, they resist and resist and resist and forever we have to resist until we until victory because Somali culture does not does not cannot accept domination. So Somalia has been at war for forever. Wow. But what they maintain is that 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 rawness, that that culture that we inherited from our fathers that says you're free, this is your land, fight. And if you lose fighting, you gotta, you know, the the one that's inside your 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 wife's belly shall pick up the fight from there when he grows up. It's an ancient culture. So here the laws are different. There is a government here. Of course, you can get arrested. But if I tell you honestly, the way I, as a writer, the way I've been observing this is basically, you know, uh, one of my one of my boy got arrested. I go to the police office, police station. I was like, hey, my, my friend got arrested. And basically the, the government holds you until the other family come, the family of the victim. And there's like a two boys fighting or something. The family of the victim comes and they're like, okay, well, this is our son. And they fair, the government verifies that you represent the family of the victim. And once they know you're the verifier, they can release that boy so the two families can talk. If the two families can talk and solve their issues, then the problem is solved. If not, then the, the, vic the victim's family will say, hey, you know, our, our boy is hurting and we want whatever, X amount of money. And the other family will say, okay, we'll give you this X amount of money. And the two boys get together and they reconcile. So it's more like family, you know. Yeah, it's not driven uh, by affair. money and monetary. It's, it's not driven yeah, by money. Yeah, because in it's America driven it's driven by, by money. Culture. So there's no incentive for that. Yeah. Ancient yeah, culture, very... the way yeah. our ancestors dealt each other. That's how, how they do business here, which is kind of different. So what? how you know, do you guys, me, do you guys have a lot of immigrants that come to Somalia? I wish, I wish there were, no. Because, you know, Somalia, the perception of Somalia is pirates, 
you know, war, you know, but the reality is they're building roads outside of my office here and they're building schools and it's actually very peace. Right now it's about eight, I don't know, eight fifteen or something. And, you know, it's safe. I'm about to walk home. It's not what they tell people about Somalia. Somalia's at war and there's a lot of terrorists here. There's a lot of pirates. Well, no, that is not the case. That's you the painted white, some pictures of, in my mind at least, you know, I grew up in the country in the summer times and in the summers in the country, I would just be outside under the sun, just dreaming, walking around, being free. And you talked about, you know, being in the valley like that. So I was wondering if you could touch on that a little bit. Yeah, my, my grandmother, I grew up with my grandmother not far from here in the valley. And my my ancestors, my uncle still own camels goats, uh, and they follow the rain. So wherever rain is, you follow. So you might walk three days behind the camel with, your, with, with your, your uncle or whatever. Like right now I'm old enough, but uncles will carry their AK behind the camel. They drink camel milk for food and whatever little rice that they have. They're absolutely free. They live in the, they stay in, you know, under the moonlight. That's where they sleep. There's no homes. Normally nomads, keep on going in search of grazing area. And they are still the same. Um, so the, the, that's the valley and still exists. The only, the only difference now is uh, rain is now less and less because of the global warming. Uh, but the culture is still intact. And, but when it rains, it's exactly how I described. Absolutely gorgeous. And as far as your eyes can see, belongs to you. At least that's what you are made... That's how they make you feel, that where the sun meets the earth, that's your land. And that's what you have to protect. And if war comes, that's what you have to protect. I thought you were going to say that your your family owned land, but you said they own camels because the land, you can't own the land, I guess. It's yours already. It's already yours. It belongs to the tribe. And you fight for it. So that demarcation, somehow they know the demarcation. Even the tribes don't, don't mix. Some, you know, your own, this, this land, this is your grazing area. And if there is a mutual uh, connection, is there a mutual agreement that you can graze each other's land, then it's fine. But if there's a tribe that you, there's a few, you stay away from that. It's an ancient, ancient, ancient. Well, how is ancient how is that ancient culture blending in with the modern lifestyle? You know, I know Donovan kind of live in, in a space where it's a lot of change happening around him. So, how 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 are you dealing with that? Well, well, I mean, they are because right now this city right near where Matt is about I don't know, like last ten years they 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 built 80 percent of the city. Like there's a there's an internet here right now. There's classrooms here. There's uh there's roads outside. They're building airports. They're building ports. So they are modernizing it very quickly. They're learning and they're adopting it. They're now talking about getting uh, tourism into the country, uh, so they can make some money. Uh, so capitalism, in the way we you and I know in the states, is actually entering uh, Africa and entering Somalia. And the Chinese are actually coming in like crazy with money. Africa is coming in. The Chinese are coming to Africa like crazy. And, but I like I like us, you, me, brothers. You gotta visit Africa and wow. start investing. Wow. I mean it. Because you know, you can make money and you're gonna be 
at least to visit, man, at least to visit, you will feel completely free wow. from the bullshit. But no hot dogs, you hamburgers, I mean? and pizza, though. <laughs> Now they got pizza. Now they got pizza. Yeah, what y'all said? You said uh, y'all y'all only eat goat, lamb. Nah, I eat goat and lamb though. I go hard at it, but that's what they eat in Somali. Yeah. 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 Camel. Camel. But do y'all eat camel? Camel. I eat camel. I, I just have, I I got camel milk right now. Even not, I got I got mm. I drink camel. Okay. Donovan, did you yeah. have anything you wanted to say? Um. <laughs> I did, but I, I I forgot it. It'll come back to me. Yeah, man. Um, man, yeah, this is love, yeah, man. I really I appreciate you giving uh, coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you writing that book. Absolutely. One thing, Absolutely. the only thing I was thinking about, like, damn, a hyena just came up to y'all like it was nothing. The, like snakes and and things like that. I know that they are in danger of wildlife trying to hunt the nomadic people. Is that something that you guys are concerned with? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. And, and so, and so at any given moment, you could be hunting and being hunted at the same time. Uh, no, no. I mean, in, in the, I'm in the city now, but uh, I'm talking about like you know, I was describing living free. Yeah, I'm talking about the, the nomad. The, uh, the nomad. Excuse me, the nomad. Yeah, the nomads. Always, they're already always ready for some action, man. Always. Okay. You know, if you're not battling the earth and all the, you know, uh, creatures or you're, you're finding human creatures. Okay. So humans, you know, uh, nomads are prepared for hardship and war and tragedies. Okay. And that's what I was prepared for. But I was never pre prepared to be, yeah. you know, an American, be like a toy. Yeah. We're not toys, we're human beings. We get to name ourselves. Yeah. You and I get to meet ourselves who we are. We are, we have richer history than white people, to be frank. Yeah. We, we were here before white people. We came from people of culture. I mean, people of poetry, people of rhythm. I mean, the evidence lies in how powerful black people in America are in terms of how rich, global rich we are. I mean, who controls the culture? Black people. I want that to be something that we tell our kids that they belong, that they're not only about the hood, that they are about Africa belongs to you. You are African-born American. I am an African, no, you are American-born African. I am an African-born American. But at the same, we're both Africans. And Africa is so big. The people that are making money are Chinese. But somehow you and I were told that we should not, we should not go to Africa and we're, we're losing opportunities. You know what I mean? I don't want you, those who are enlightened, to, be, to lose that. You don't got to do anything. Just visit. Just see. And you'll notice, you know what I mean, that there are massive opportunities. And also, American companies are now trying to come in, but Chinese companies are here like massively all over Africa. Everywhere you go, there's Chinese companies. And I really want us to have that dialogue so our people, you know, you know, I can, I can, I can connect to you more than I can connect to people here because I grew up with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I grew up with Tupac. Yeah. I, I understand more about our culture in America, but I want us to have a deeper conversation like this so young people 
can start traveling, seeing. So this shadow of control, a lost identity, broken spirits can just shed away piece by piece. And that's the very reason why I wrote this book. So we can we can move forward and say, hey, you know what? We belong. Very well put. Thank you for listening. Remember to click subscribe, share with your friends, leave us a five-star rating, and tune in on our next podcast as we review Octavia Butler's Kendrick. Thank you. We gotta make a change. It's time for us as a people to start making some changes. Let's change the way we eat. Let's change the way we live. And let's change the way we treat each other. You see, the old way wasn't working, so it's on us to do what we gotta do to survive. And still, I see no changes. Can a brother get a little peace? It's warm on the streets and the warm in the Middle East. Instead of warm on poverty, they got a warm.